But tonight we're in Joshua chapter 10. If you have a Bible, let's turn there. Joshua chapter 10. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, interesting, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, it literally means Lord Righteousness, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deborah, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. It's interesting when you look at this right here, we see these uh, five kings. uh, We're going to see in the more or less the southern portion of the land of Canaan, you know, when they find out uh, what's happened to Ai, what's happened to these nations over here that the children of Israel have wiped out, when they find out that Gibeon, which was considered a great city, even a royal city, had made a covenant with the children of Israel, it says right there in verse 2 that they feared greatly. You know, and uh, fear, we as Christians, we talked about fear not really being a good thing because fear and faith are, are, are mutually exclusive, right? But you've got to know also that fear, um, it, it, it moves you sometimes, huh? I mean, you can do some pretty crazy things. You can increase your strength sometimes when, you know, when you're afraid, huh? And for the enemy, that's what was going on here. Um, they were afraid. They said, wow, Israel, look what they're doing. They are not just winning victories. They're utterly destroying the enemy, and, you know, Ai and the king over here, and now they're friends with Gibeon. And so what they did was they said, okay, let's team up together. And they got, you know, four more guys, five kings, five nations together, and they came up against uh, Gibeon. It says in verse 4 that they would attack Gibeon. Now you're like, well, wh- where's Gibeon all about? Why are we talking about Gibeon now? Well, if you remember in Joshua chapter 9, Gibeon, the Gibeonites had deceived the children of Israel. They had come to them with, you know, old wineskins and moldy bread and sandals that were all messed up. And, you know, they messed up their hair. They didn't have shaven, you know, faces, you name it. And they said, we've come from a long, long ways, you know, and we want to make a covenant with you. And we saw last week that Joshua did not see counsel of the Lord. And therefore, they were deceived by the enemy. They were deceived by the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites just straight out lied to them. And so they made a covenant with them. And they found out afterwards, oh, man, they're only 25 miles away. They're in the promised land. They fooled us. They've deceived us. And so now we see these nations... They're coming against Gibeon. Interesting, right? 
And so, okay, how does this work? The, the covenant that the Gibeonites made with the Israelites was that the Israelites wouldn't wipe them out. And so what do you do in a situation like this? Interesting. Look what we read next in verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. And I was reading through this, and I... I didn't catch it at first, and I even read a few commentaries, and I, I didn't really catch it at first. You know, but what would you do in a situation like that? Just out of curiosity. What would you do if somebody just totally deceived you? Somebody totally, you know, came in, they lied to you straight out, and in one sense, it's kind of like they almost ruined God's plan. For your life. Because that's kind of what the Gibeonites did. They came in. They deceived them. They said, hey, you know what? We're far away. They made a covenant with them. When God had told them to wipe them all out. Now, because of this deception, they had a covenant with the Gibeonites. And, and so, you know, you, you see that. And now these kings are coming against the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites say, hey, can you help us out? What would you do? You know, I think that most of us here, if we were honest, would say, you know what? I made a covenant with God. I, I'm not going to get you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to speak against you. But if someone else does, cool. <laughs> I'm going to let the devil get you because that's what you deserve. You know, because the covenant they had made was a covenant that says, we won't wipe you out. But to, when I look at this right here, I'm like, wow, Lord, this is a really interesting situation. You know, here we have these guys right here, you know, and I don't know how it works. Maybe Joshua got to know him a little bit. Maybe the Lord started working on his heart. We talked a little bit about last week's study about just the gracious sovereignty of God and how in the end the Gibeonites were to be, you know, faithful servants. Even in the time of, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, they never turned sour. They never went back from that point forward. You know, but when I look at this right here, I think, wow, Lord, um, I don't know if I would do that. I mean, in all honesty, I've had people, you know, come against me. I've had people say things against me. I think we all have. We've had people do things bad to us, you know, and we're mature Christians, right? We would never, you know, beat them up. We would never, you know, sin against them. But in, in, in the back of our, of our minds sometimes, we do pray, Lord, you know, not to the devil, but, you know, Lord, use the devil, Lord. Lord, get them. Lord, take them down. Get them out. Get rid of them. This, to me, when I look at this from the Israeli standpoint, I think, wow, see, God got them. God, God, God's going to get them because this is what they deserve. And yet, it's not what God wanted for the Israelites. You know, this is a time where you take it to prayer. And you ask the Lord, what do I do? You know, I'm reminded of the psalmist says, He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities, nor has he punished us according to our sins. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. You know, 
You can't be more like God when you find yourself in a situation like this and you step in and, you're, and you love your enemies. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. You know, we don't have a problem loving those who are nice to us. As a matter of fact, you know, you like me, you have good taste. You know, I'm really proud of you, right? Obviously, you see how godly I am, right? We love those who love us, right? We do. But to love our enemies now, you're talking about something real and radical. Now you're talking about what God calls us to do. You know, Jesus said, if you love your friends, what credit is that to you? You know? Even the heathen do that. And so here we have this whole situation. And to me, when I, when I saw this, I said, wow, Lord, this is heavy. Because when I look at this, I mean, you know, just from a human perspective, I think, well, they had it coming to them. But they call for the Israelites to look at verse 6. Save us. Help us. I mean, two huge words. Save us. Help us. You know, and that's where the Gibeonites were. And so what ends up happening, it says in verse 7, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And so what ends up happening, man, they come down to help them, to help them. And I pray that we would have this in our heart, you know, that we would just be, you know, available. We would be ambassadors. We would be, you know, wise to be used by God to save them, that we would be used by God to help them. You know, that's exactly what God calls us to do as servants of the Lord. You know, Joshua, what does he do? He goes down there. He ascends from Gilgal. And we're going to see he does it in a pretty rapid way. He, all the mighty men of valor. And as he does that, it's so cool what the Lord says. Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. I think God honored that. I really do. Uh, God saw his heart. God saw his forgiveness. The Bible says, be tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. And just as God forgives us, we need to forgive others. And when we see them in the dilemmas that they find themselves in, don't just say, you know what, they had it coming. Really ask God for wisdom. How will you help them? Will you pray for them? Will you go to them? Will you run to them? And that's really a practical thing for us, I think, as Christians. You know, it's interesting. They were fearing greatly in verse 2. And we saw here in verse 8, God says, Do not fear them, because he gave them a promise. I've delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. You see? And this is really life as a Christian. This is really life on, on planet Earth. Do you have any enemies? Do you have any people that you wish were six feet under? You better repent. <laughs> we got to make sure, because what is it happening, that bitterness in our heart, it doesn't hurt them, it hurts us. It hurts in our relationship with God. You know, to really help each other is a huge thing for us as Christians. Look over at Second Samuel chapter 10. I've always loved this verse right here. 
Second Samuel chapter 10, they're going out to war. I just really dig on this verse. In verse 11, 2 Samuel 10, it says, And then he said, um, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. I love that. Joab speaking to you know, his subordinates and just telling them, listen, you know, let's do this together. If they're too strong for me, will you help me? Will you be there for me? Will you pray for me? Will you come to me? If I need your help, will you be there for me? And I'll tell you what, if you're going through difficulties, I'll tell you what, I will be there for you. You know, and when you're in the middle of the battle, and I've never been there, but imagine what it would be like in the middle of the battle. I mean, gosh, you know, you're, you're fighting, you're swinging, you're trying to survive yourself. And now you want me to go help, you know, this person on this side? And, you know, I think for us as Christians, I think life in general, you know, we can be very, very selfish. Me, myself, and I, I've got to take care of myself. Keep my head above water. But what I've found is that when you have a heart of selflessness, a heart that says, I want to help others, it's kind of cool how even your own life falls in place. So Jesus says, you know what, love your enemies. We see over and over again in the scriptures we are to love our brothers. Galatians chapter 6 says, if any of you are overcome by any trespass, you're overtaken by a sin, you who are spiritual, restore them. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted to be there, he says, and to bear one another's burdens. See, that's how we're going to make it through life. So that's what ended up happening back in Joshua chapter 10. That's what Joshua ended up doing. And the Lord promised him. He said, you know what, Joshua, I'm going to give you the victory. Don't fear uh, them, for I've delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Here we see Joshua helping. And I believe Joshua listening. I believe Joshua listening. Joshua's helping. Joshua's listening. He's listening. He's listening to the promises of God. You know, and we hear it, and we have the book, all the promises of the Bible, and we've gone to, you know, 373 studies about how good God is and how He promised He would never leave us nor forsake us, how He said we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But there's a difference between hearing those things and really listening and taking them to heart. I believe Joshua did just that. God spoke to him. Later on, he wrote it down in the book. Obviously, he remembered over and over and over again how God says, don't fear. Tell you what, man, I've delivered them into your hand. Yeah, but Lord, there's five nations now. God says, don't worry, I got it all taken care of. Not a man of them shall stand before you. You know, one of the interesting things about this chapter and even about the whole book, does anybody know what the name of the book is? Joshua, right? I know you know that. You just didn't want to say it because you're embarrassed. And I was thinking, as we're going to go through the chapter right here, you're going to see Joshua did this, and Joshua did that, and Joshua did this, and Joshua did that. And you're like, wait a minute, it wasn't Joshua, it was the Lord. Yeah, but Joshua became a great leader. 
And we need leaders today. Not just pastors, right? We need leaders. And we have that. We're blessed in this church with different leaders. And God uses them in the ministries that they're involved in and all these things that God is doing when leaders listen to the promises of God who says, do not be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. Follow me. And no man will be able to stand against you. And so Joshua doesn't get the glory. Joshua doesn't get the credit even. But Joshua becomes an example to us of a leader who listened. A leader who was used by the Lord. And I think for me anyways, it's a real encouragement. And so what ends up happening, Joshua therefore in verse 9 came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And so the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. What's going on here? Well, I think after verses 1 through 7, we see just the whole concept of helping, even our enemies, right? Helping. Then there's the listening in verse 8. I think now we have the believing, the believing, because, you know, you can say you believe, but it's not until you move that I think you, you really prove it, right? Believing. You really believe God? You really believe in the promises that he's with you? You really believe that he loves the sinners? You really believe that he can give you the victory? You prove it. And then you begin to take steps of faith, right? One of the interesting things in verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. Some people believe it was a good strategy because he caught them by surprise. Others trip out. You mean to tell me he fought after marching all night? I don't know about that. I guess it would require faith. I remember one time, do you guys remember that time where, how many of you here, we had the all-night prayer meeting on a Saturday night, just out of curiosity? How many of you fell asleep, just out of curiosity? (laughs) It's hard enough just to stay up all night. But imagine marching all night. Okay, maybe that will help you stay up. But then after Saturday's done, okay, after you stayed up all night, now, you know, you've got to do church or whatever, you know. And so for me, you know, obviously I had to stay here and, you know, preach. A lot of you, you went home. <laughs> so imagine being up all night and then, you know, engaging in battle. Not only this, we're going to see that it was the longest day of all. And so here they stayed up all night, marching all night. And if according to geography, it's uphill. So they're marching all night. They get there. They're fighting all day. It's the longest day ever in the history of the world. I tell you what, man, that requires faith. You know, faith is just taking God at his word. And God said, this is what I want you to do. Maybe it didn't make a lot of logical sense, but it was the will of the Lord. And that's why it's so important, and we're going to see this later, even when Joshua prays for the sun to stand still, 
that we really do have that intimate and personal relationship with God. We see Joshua helping, listening, believing. And as a result of his believing, we see here in verse 10 and 11 that two things happen. Number one, they routed them. Again, look at verse 10. They routed them. So the Lord routed them. And in verse 11, the hailstones rained on them. They rained on them. And it was all the Lord. We're going to see later when we get in chapter 11 that when the armies came against Israel, it was like the sands of the sea in multitude. But that doesn't matter when God's on your side. You know, you got, you got the victory, man. You know, they're outnumbered, right? And all I want to do is just encourage you guys to really believe, to really believe, believe. Uh, there's so much to faith. There's so much to it. You know, when we pray and when we seek the Lord, And when we're living life as a Christian, I think a lot of times we have unbelief in our heart. You know, the whole book of Hebrews is about what? Unbelief. It's about unbelief. So what does he do? He gives a doctrine of, you know, hey, come back to faith in Christ. Not in religion, not in man, not in anything else. It's about Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 11, he gives the hall of faith, right? And he tells all these people who did some amazing, amazing things because they believed. You know, and that's what we have to do, you guys. We have to kind of humble ourselves and become like children again. You remember how kids are? They just believed, right? And a lot of times we grow up, we get so sophisticated and complicated. And we, you know, we just, I don't know, man... We go when we get a degree in the Bible and we backslide. In, in essence, I'm not saying that you're doing, you know, bad things. You're not, you know, going and whatever it is. But we're not just believing in the power of the Lord, you know, because that's exactly what we need in order to rout the enemy, in order to make those hailstones come down from heaven. Think about that. The hailstones killed more of the enemy than they did with the sword because that's the way it is. You know, we think it's us. We think I'm going to do it. We think my wisdom, my gifts, whatever it is, you know, and we have all this, you know, we're like Jacobs. We're manipulators. We're connivers because we're trusting in the arm of the flesh. And when God says, you know what, let me do it. You know, sometimes we have to fight to let God fight for us. It's a battle. Because we want to do it in our own strength so many times. And we can study for a hundred hours and pray for 20 minutes and expect God to bless it. And we can go and we can do things with our family. Cool. It's great to do things with your family. But how much do you pray for your family? Because if all you do is do things for your family and do things with your family and you don't pray for your family, then you're trusting in yourself. And not God. We need a balance. We need to do things with our family and pray things, you know, and do things for our family. But man, we need to pray for our wife. How we need to pray for our children for, you know, a long time, if I could just say that. Not just two minutes, not just three minutes, but, you know, for a long time. Because part of believing is asking God to do the work. Lord, you know what? Um, I'm a pretty nice guy. You know, Ariel and Aaron, they got to like me, right? I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a good dad. I brought Aaron some really hot, hot Cheetos home last night. 
you know, and and Ariel, you know what? She she you know whatever it is, the dessert that she likes from Starbucks, those little lollipop things or whatever they're called, you know. And so, you know, she's gotta you know obey me. She's gotta love the Lord. But but the bottom line is, there's a lot of spiritual things that I have to be an example. I have to lead her in the Word of God. I have to pray with them. I have to pray for them especially because I need. It doesn't matter. You can have grown up in the church. It doesn't matter. In order for there to be a fire, in order for there, for there to be real a passion, in order for that to happen is something that only God can do. Otherwise, you just raise maybe moral kids. It's got to be the Lord. And so the hailstones, more got you know wiped out by the hailstones than with the sword. And it's so cool how God is just like a sharpshooter, man. All these soldiers... And boom, 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 he starts getting them all. Why? Because God is the one that we need. And that happens how? As, as we're believing, you guys. We have to make sure that that's where we're at. We're helping even, you know, our enemies. Why? Because that's the way God is. And we're listening to the promises of the Lord there in verse 8, as leaders especially, listening, like taking it to heart. And then what we're doing is we're believing, so we're going out and we're taking steps of faith that God will honor. And then after that, part of believing is praying. Look at verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And so the sun stood still. And the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. He says, this was not written in the book of Jasher. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Here we see Joshua doing what? Joshua praying. You know, the bottom line is if the night appeared, the enemy would disappear. Something that we've seen in the heart of Joshua is he's ruthless with the enemy. You know, and for us, you know, we could say the enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, it's all lying under the sway of the wicked one, and it will bombard you. The world the flesh, which is inclined to evil, and the devil. We have to be ruthless with them, right? And so, as he's going through this battle, it's not just, you know, a single nation battle anymore. Now we've got five nations, so to speak. And so what ends up happening is Joshua asks this crazy request for the sun to stand still, for the moon to stand still, for the day to be extended so that he could utterly wipe out the enemies. And I was thinking about that. In my life, I know there's things about me that I want to bring into subjection, man. Totally. I know I'll always have the sin nature until I die, but I just want to, just, man, I want to just totally dominate it by being a godly man, right? And the world, man, I want victory over the world. And then I was thinking about this, you guys, if I could just mention this. Some of you here are going through very difficult, difficult situations because the devil, that demon, those groups of demons are focusing on you. 
and they have a stronghold on you. And what we need to do, in essence, is we've got to pray, Lord, let the sun stand still, let the moon stand still, because I don't want them to disappear, because then if they disappear, they might reappear. Lord, I really want to just totally slay the enemy right now, because he has a stronghold. And I, and I see this. I think I've experienced it. Where, you know what, the casual type of Christianity, the one that we've been cruising along with and living for a long time, that, that that's not enough anymore. That now the sun has to stand still, the moon has to stand still, that right now there's something going on, and that's why it keeps happening. It keeps happening, and it keeps happening because you don't realize that now five of them have gotten together now. It's not the same battle anymore. You know, when you get the victory, the opposition increases. And when the opposition increases, your faith must increase. If your faith does not increase when the opposition increases, then you will be stuck there until the day you die. And God is just saying, you got to grow, mijo. You got to grow, mija. Right now, if you want to get past this you know, bump or whatever it is, you need to grow. I mean, who of us here would ever ask such a crazy prayer request? Think about it. I mean, yes, sun stands still. I mean, I mean, would you pray that? I dare you pray it, you know. Moon stands still. You know, bottom line is, when prayer, you know, when you're really praying, you know, you know the will of God and you pray the will of God. Joshua was such a, 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 an awesome you know, God follower that he knew it was God's will for the sun to stand still, and so he prayed it. That's how prayer works. Prayer is not me going to, to God and saying, this is what I want, you know, Mr. Genie in the sky. That's not prayer. Prayer, if you want to be really, really effective in prayer, you know, go to God. Of course, we're not sure about everything, but find out what his will is first. Find out what his will is and then pray. It's really good when you pray the Bible, especially. Strengthen the inner man. You know, a lot of times we're praying for healing and it's true. God can heal, but God wants to really strengthen the inner man. You know, and you pray these prayers that are according to his will. And we need that. You know, and what ends up happening is Joshua prayed this incredible prayer from what I understand, this was the last, you know, miracle in the book of Joshua. Um, later on, of course, they would have military victories, but this is the last, like, straight-out miracle. And I tell you what, it's a great way, you know, to finish the list of miracles. What we see right here is as we're praying, God does a work. You know, when we look at the sun standing still from the human perspective, we know it's got to do with the rotation of the earth, right? Extending the day. But when we look at this, you know, some people will say, skeptics will say, scientists will say, how can that possibly happen? It would create cataclysmic ramifications. And uh, again, we know if it was just science, merely science, it would be true. But it's not merely science. It's a miracle of God. And I really, I guess I've come to believe that verse with God, all things are possible. You know, later Caleb would say, give me that mountain. With God, all things are possible. 
You know, how, how, how about you? How big is your God? See, and when you know how great God is, it's so cool when you enter into that relationship with Him. If you can believe the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you're not going to have a problem with any of the rest, right? C.H. Spurgeon said, How He did it is no question for us. It is not ours to try and soften down miracles, but to glorify God in them. And God, right there, look again, you guys, at verse 14. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Talk about the power of prayer. You know, if I can get, if we can get this church to be a praying church, to where you really get on your knees and you really listen to the Lord and you really believe in God and you're really lifting up your heart and this city and this church and ministry and all these different things to where God would actually hear you and me. Imagine what God can do. It's so cool when you look at that. It's amazing to me how God answers prayer. You know, sometimes it's God's will, but we don't ask, right? James chapter 4, verse 2. Sometimes it's God's will, but we don't ask in faith. James chapter 1, verse 6. Sometimes we ask, and we ask in faith, but it's not God's will. First John 5, verse 14. But sometimes we ask by faith, in harmony with his will, and the Son stands still. I pray, you guys, we would grow in our prayer life. We see Joshua helping, Joshua listening, Joshua believing, Joshua praying. And then we see next Joshua finishing. I love this. Verse 15, Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Makeda. And so Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. And then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makedah in peace. Not one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. And I guess I just want to encourage you right here when you see that way that Joshua wanted to finish the job. He asked the son, the Lord to make the sun stand still. And he said, okay, we don't want to be distracted with these kings. We'll come back to them later. Let's get them all that we would have the same heart. You know, Jesus said, um, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work, right? Paul the Apostle says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy. Later when he died, he said what? I have finished the race. How many of us here start a book and don't finish it? 
just out of curiosity. How many of you here, you have rooms half painted or whatever, you know? How many of us here, we start projects, we don't finish them. You know, and those are minor things, I suppose. But when it comes to the mission of the Lord, we've got to have that, I don't know if killer instinct is the right word, but you know how it is? Uh, some basketball players are known for only playing three quarters, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And it'll cost you. And so we've got to make sure that we have a resiliency to us, just like Joshua did. We see this over and over again, right? And so what does Joshua do? Great example, helping, listening, believing, praying, finishing. All these things are great characteristics for us to emulate. The the next thing is illustrating. Look what we see next. It says in verse 22, And then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. And so Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. And so it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, here it is, which remain until this very day. Joshua, you know, had these five kings in the the cave. And he could have just killed them. He could have just kind of executed them right there, but, you know... Bible teachers will tell us that what he did was almost ceremonial. It was a visual, it was an illustration, a visible illustration. He said, yeah, all the the kings right there, laid them on the ground. And he told the men, the men who would be carrying the baton, that he'd be passing the baton to, the next generation, because he didn't want to die without sharing this with the younger men or the next generation, the men, right? He says, what I want you guys to do is, you know, put your foot on their necks. That's symbolic right there, okay? Have you ever had somebody step on your neck? It's not a nice thing, especially in the scriptures we see under the feet, right? There it is. And then he says, thus the Lord will do to all your enemies. And so what does he do? Right there, man, they wipe them out. Then they take their corpses, they hang them on five different trees for everyone to see. Then they take their corpses down, put them in the cave, and they pile it with stones as a monument. What it was was an illustration. It was a ceremony, so to speak. Why? Because he wanted them to know. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to teach them not just, you know, an intellectual thing. He's trying to teach them as they would carry on the mission, the work, after him, the type of God that they had. And I think for us, it's important to have that understanding, man. You know, of course, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't put your neck on, hand on somebody's neck and kill them like that. But there's, there's things we can do, huh? 
There's examples. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm writing things for my children. You know, none of us knows, you know, we can die any day now, right? And um, I'm writing things, Bible lessons. I'm writing things for them so that when I die, they'll carry, they'll carry on. You know, if the Lord tarries, who knows, man? It looks like he's coming soon, but we don't know. What type of memorials, what type of illustrations, not just that, you know, also just being, trying our best to be an example to them. Those illustrations that they need to see. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and he's struggling. He's going through some hard times, and, you know, a real tough place to be. He hasn't slept in three days. Okay, three days. How would you be today? if you haven't slept in three days. Some of you are here like, that's me. No. <laughs> it would be tough, you know. Um, I know some of you here that get cranky when you don't sleep well for one night. <laughs> but anyways, what he's telling me is, you know, uh, and basically he's confessing to me. I'm being rude to them. I'm being rude to them. And, you know, these are his family members. And, you know, he's uh, being rude to the whole world. <laughs> being rude to the whole world. And when I tried to tell him, I said, listen, I know what you're going I can't even imagine what you're going through to not sleep for three days. I said, but, but you want to know something? You're being tested right now. And you're, you're being tested as a man of God. You need to maintain a godly attitude that no matter what happens in your life, that you would be an example to them. There's never an excuse to sin. You're like, well, you don't know what I'm going through. It doesn't matter. God said he'll always provide a way of escape. You see, it's one thing to teach it. And you guys know, like, you know, Manny's teaching it. That guy's teaching it. That guy's teaching it. And that has a certain element of effectiveness when your heart's open to the word of God. But you guys know that 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 life and really learning those lessons come primarily not from somebody's mouth, but from somebody's life. Huh? When you see it, and it's real. And that's what Joshua was giving, this illustration. Listen, this is what God's done. When Jesus walked on that storm, that was the devil. That was demons. They, they riled up the wind, the storm, the waves that were trying to sink the disciples. But Jesus went out there and he walked on water and he spoke, peace, be still. Jesus Christ gives us victory over the enemy. Ephesians chapter 1 says God's put everything under his feet. Everything under his feet. And you want to know something? Even everything now under your feet. And we've got to be able to see it. Okay, I see it. I see that visual illustration. I see the way that this is a radical victory that we have. It's a great victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Right? When we believe it, when we know it, when we see it. And so you have that visual illustration. Yeah, I remember. They stood on their necks. They killed them. They hung them. They put them in the cave and they're still there. See, that's what God has done for us. And we need to enter into that. Right? And so Joshua here does a lot of things. Helping. Listening. Believing. Praying. Finishing. 
illustrating and then conquering. And we'll close the chapter with this. It says, uh, verse 16, oh, I'm sorry, chapter 10. (laughs) Verse 28, On that day Joshua took Makeda and struck it and his king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord delivered it and his king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it, all the people who were in it, with the edge of the sword, according to all that it had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua struck him and his people until he left him, none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him. And they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. They took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king, all its cities, and the people who were in it, he left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and Osra with him to Deborah, and they fought against it. And he took it and his king and in all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Deborah and his king as he had done also to Libna and its king. And so Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. You guys, there's a map up here. I don't know if you could see from where you're at. But when they went across the Jordan, they kind of went kind of more towards the middle of the river. And then they went right there. You see Jericho and then there's Ai to the left of it. And then Gibeon down there a little farther to the left, uh, south, what's that, southwest. And then they just kind of did this whole campaign. And what we have right here is the conquest of southern Canaan. And you can see them going through all these different cities right here and, um, and just basically, you know, gaining the whole land, the southern portion. We're going to see in chapter 11 they get the, the northern portion. And I guess if I could just say this in closing, visualize that as your life. That's your life, man. And you've got to ask God, you know, to, to take hold of, to give you victory of every area of your life. And as we do, it's an amazing thing, man, how God wants us to enjoy this victorious Christian living. It's a wonderful life. It's so cool 
when you get caught up in it's not about me. It's really not about me. It's about the people that God wants me to minister to. It's about doing his will. It's about bringing him glory. And you just get caught up in, um, you really get caught up in, in Jesus. Because Joshua is a picture of who? Who? He's a picture of Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. He wiped out all of our enemies. He destroyed. He disarmed them. He took everything away and he nailed it to the cross. He defeated all the penalty and power of sin. This is what our Lord Jesus has done for us, you guys. So my encouragement to you is to is to know this, is to believe this, is to live this, and to draw so close to Jesus more than you've ever been. Our job is to do what? To point you to Jesus. There's no one like him. And if you get that right, Everything else falls into place. Amen. Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, for this chapter, Lord. Of, uh, there's a lot here, God. I know uh, elements of forgiveness, of how you fight for us, Lord, how you defeated the enemy. And I just pray, Lord, that we would fight to let you fight for us. That we would tap out, that we would say, God, you take over. Because these are things that we cannot do in our own strength, Lord. And so we are so grateful tonight that the battle belongs to you, Lord. We're so grateful for what you've done. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we see these visual illustrations of the spiritual realities in our life, that we as Christians, Lord God, would believe these things. That we would go out and not just learn but live. We would read and heed. That, Father God, we would get caught up in an intimate, personal, and passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. We love you so much. We thank you that the battle really does belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.